Welcome to Johnston River of Love. Deja vu. Anybody ever experienced deja vu? Let's admit it. Okay, maybe I should say it this way, being sure you're afraid to raise your hands. How many of you have not experienced deja, deja vu? That's better. Okay. You know, I think in my experience talking to people, I've, I've kind of come to just believe it's something we all experience. We all know what that's like to live in a moment that feels like it's on repeat. It's like, I've experienced this before. I, I've heard this before. This whole circumstance, it's happened, right? Um, it's one of the weirdest experiences, and I, I pondered, is it is it because we've got memories where those circumstances have happened before? We've heard that person say that before, or we've listened to that song, or we've seen that same thing happen again. Um, and is our brain just putting those pieces together to really make us think that we're living in two moments of time simultaneously? What's really happening with deja vu? You know, it, it's not like it's not like every Sunday. I stand up here and preach. That's not like deja vu, right? Because, you know, that's going to happen. It's going to be a recurring theme. Although there might be some Sundays where I think standing up here, oh my goodness, this has happened before. Because we just sang the same song, or during that same song, at the same exact beat, there's a kid in back that says something really awkward, and his parents goes like, whoa, like this, right? Or somebody knocks the coffee mug over, and all of those things merge at the same moment. I'm like, oh my goodness, now that moment has happened before. Deja vu is this moment of woe. I knew what they were going to say. It's a memory or a, a moment of a brain melding these stories and events together. And, and today, in this moment, when we talk about Jesus being baptized, I think there's a little bit of deja vu stuff going on. I think there's this kind of ongoing revelation of God that is kind of being told over and over and being seen again and again. John's baptism is, is a divine revelation of Christ and who Christ is. It's a kind of melding of the stories and the moments that have led up to it. Because just think about it, how their, their story is filled with these in divine encounters of how God has been revealing God's self to the world. And John's family and Jesus' family have experienced this multiple times. I'm going to come back to what those were. But think for just a moment. John and Jesus... Their cousins. They both had miraculous births, if you will. Both parents had divine revelations. These families, you could be a little jealous. I mean, seriously. In fact, I think last week I told you that I've heard God's voice and I've had those encounters that were of divine revelation that just feel like, whoa. Step back just a moment. They've had them, and they've had them multiple times. Think about this. Zechariah in the temple encounters the, the, the divine by being told that he's going to have a son. And he's like, no way. And of course, we, he goes mute. And then, and then Mary, we know, has this vision, and she's like, whoa, what's happening? And, and Joseph has this dream, and, and all of a sudden, things are clear there. And then Mary and Elizabeth meet, and the spirits, the spirit of John that's in Elizabeth, jumps when the he encounters the spirit of Jesus in Mary. Think of all these divine encounters and divine revelations where the spirit of God is at work in telling the story right in front of them. And they're experiencing it over and over. And I can just imagine these holy moments, these glimmers become like 
deja vu. God's talking again. <gasps> Did you catch that? God's talking again. Did you? Wow. Jesus shows up in this moment to be baptized. And of course, the Spirit in John recognizes the Spirit of God in Christ. This, and another divine revelation takes place. Of course, first of all, he's like, no way, I'm, I'm not even worthy. I, you know. And yet he's baptized. Now, before I go too far, I, I want to I take a look at the meta story here for just a moment because Luke is a little different than the other synoptic gospels being Matthew and Mark. He's a little different. The Gospel of Luke, he, he highlights some other things that I think are valuable for us to note. Luke likes questions. Both in Luke and Acts, he's, he kind of highlights that questions are central to our faith. In fact, right here in this passage, it says that the people were in their expectations, they were questioning. They were questioning in their hearts about John and about Jesus. They're questioning, really, who is this person? In fact, for Luke, questions are not a bad thing. They're not a sign of doubt or faithlessness. They're not a sign of ignorance. If you're honest, you have to admit there are times that you choose not to ask a question because of what? You're afraid somebody's going to think you're stupid. I've done that too. It's like, shut down. Nope, I'm not going to ask that question because if I ask that question, that just shows them how stupid I am. Luke doesn't say that. Luke kind of indicates here that questions are good. Questions and stirring amongst the people is a good thing. He says that instead it represents a collective participation and an interest in the current moment of God's revelation and God's activity. They're curious. Curiosity is good. What's God doing? The word that's used there is actually it represents wonder, astonishment, questioning, to reckon thoroughly or deliberate, to cast something through your mind, to consider, dispute, muse, reason, or think about it. And Luke says it's a good thing to do. In fact, one of the things that I love about The Chosen, those of you who've participated in that, not just watched it at home, but those who've come to the nights when we will watch it, and then we sit around and we, we what? We ponder, we question, we, we think about it differently, we, and then we hear how someone else thinks about it, and there's, there's something that happens in that stirring of questions, isn't there? There's something that's powerful and transforming because all of a sudden, not only are we seeing things differently, but we're hearing how someone else is seeing something differently, and God works through the questions. Now, I'm, I'm highlighting that because you know what? In today's world, it seems like our culture or some aspects of our culture think that the most important thing is to have the right answer. Think that the most important thing is to be able to prove a position or have an absolute about something. And yet, you know what faith is, people? <laughs> Do you think faith is absolute? Faith, by its own definition, means that you are living in the questions, that you have enough evidence to believe something, but you don't have proof. It's about wrestling with the questions. Luke's gospel demonstrates a lot of questions. People are asking questions about Jesus' birth. Mary's asking questions, why me? I mean, all these questions throughout the gospels, we could spend days just looking at the different questions 
and the ways people are considering or disputing or reasoning among one another. Why should we be so afraid of questions? Or why do we need to push a position? Is that more valuable than wrestling together? You know, something else that Luke emphasizes is the contrast. He brings John and Jesus together, and of course he recognizes that they are one and the same in the fact that they are revelations of God, but he's very clear that there is something different and uniquely different about the two. He connects their families. Actually, Luke connects the families together and and their stories more than any other gospel. But he also goes on to clarify that John is the one who has come in the desert to prepare the way. He is the the one who prepares or makes straight the path for Jesus. And yet, then he goes on to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know the difference. John and Jesus, the encounters of divine revelation, surround their family stories. I can imagine in in Jesus' life with, with Mary or Joseph, they would have had regular, like, deja vu, like, whoa. We saw that. Oh, we heard that before. Wow, another miracle. I can just imagine that they're having these deja vu moments, and yet Luke clearly highlights there is a difference between what John's family would have experienced and what Jesus' family experienced. In fact, does so very clearly right here at the baptism because John is recognized as one who is baptizing with water as repentance and forgiveness of sins. It was symbolic. It was rep- uh, for renewal and for washing, for cleansing. It was an outward and symbolic act. Even when we do baptism, we recognize that it is, it's an outward sign of an inward faith. We, we recognize that it's an outward sign of something that God is doing on the inside. Jesus, however, John points out, there is one who will come who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire, that representation of fire, especially in the Old Testament, talks about a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire, which is intended to actually take and put a, a lump of gold in a refiner's fire that would purify it, that would, that would melt out all of the impurities and to make it pure, sanctify it, if you will. Jesus' activity of the Holy Spirit is different than John's because John's is an outward symbolic. Jesus Touch and activity of the Holy Spirit is an inward and transformative impact in our lives. Some of you remember me revealing my tattoo last summer and, and the, uh, the phoenix that I used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit because I, I do believe that the activity of God in the Holy Spirit is this, this flame, this transforming fire, this, this thing that touches you and makes an impact ongoing in your life. being molded from within. You see, Jesus did not, did not need water like John did. Jesus brought fire. This gets me to the point where all of a sudden I'm questioning now. Okay, so I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking for myself, so why did Jesus need baptism? Did Jesus need baptism? Well, John's baptism was for what again? For Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Did anybody want to? Anybody think Jesus needed that? 
okay. Well, now I'm confused. I'm, I'm confused. If Jesus didn't need that, then why did Jesus do that? Okay, and then, you know, it says when he comes out of that baptism, what's happening with the baptism, he, he comes out and it's like this prayerful moment. He's praying to God, and I'm like, oh, that's another thing. Jesus prays a lot. Any, any one of you think that you, keep, that you would pray enough to keep up with what Jesus did? No, I mean, he, he goes out, you know, every morning, how many hours, or he needs to get away, and he's praying, and he's often taking these moments away just to pray, and I'm thinking, why is Jesus, does Jesus need to pray? I mean, it says that he's one with Father and the Spirit, Jesus is one. Before he even does something, he knows what the Father is saying. In fact, Scripture tells us that he does only those things that that the Father leads him to do. So Jesus is in this ongoing communion with the Father. Well, why does Jesus need to pray? Does Jesus really need to pray? Does Jesus need food or water? Or well, Actually, at one point he says he doesn't need food because he has food that we don't know. I mean, there's so many questions that I begin to wrestle with. Do you guys ever wrestle with stuff that's in the Bible? Is it okay to ask questions? Good, I, good. Because I see I started out with that, right? You know, I do think that there are things that we can lean towards answers. And I can tell you in wrestling with those questions with, with other people, and wrestling with those questions with commentators and people who have, have studied and his, historians and ongoing theological perspectives, I've come to a place where I believe that Jesus, you no, know, he didn't need to do those things, but he, he chose those things because he chose to let go of his divinity in order to put on full human flesh so that we might have an understanding, an example, a model, if you will, of what it means to live a faithful life, fully human. Submitting to the Father, even accepting baptism because that's what is right and good for us, to repent and be forgiven of sin, participating with the Father, going and serving and caring for those around, and even receiving the very blessing of God the Father. And I think that is something that we need to understand that Jesus didn't need those things, but Jesus did those things so that we can see what our right course and action is. You know, I, I do think that this moment, this moment right here, Jesus is being baptized. I think something powerful happens. I think there's a bit of a deja vu moment, if you will. The dove, the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this. I think the only time in Scripture that there is ever a physical form, corporeal form, that's the word that's used in the text, given to the Holy Spirit is right here. I think God has, through the lives of John and Jesus and their families, God has been continuing to give a revelation that is physical, that is powerful, that shows the presence of God's touch. These moments, these stories of recurring events of God's activity, think about it. Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon, Anna, and now at the baptism again of Jesus when he's beginning his ministry, the Holy Spirit in physical form shows up to anoint that moment. By the way, all those other moments, God was revealing to certain people, hey, I want you to do this. Hey, 
this is my activity. Hey, this is my, my son. Hey, I want you to go and see. In this moment, God chose to act in a way that was tangible, physical, visible to John. And you know what? To all those others that were gathered around, as it said at the beginning of this text, who were questioning, those who were pondering, those who were wondering, those who were stirring their thoughts together, seeking a holy life, seeking to encounter the Christ. And God shows up in the midst of those questions to reveal the very presence of Christ. This is a deja vu moment, except it's expanding. All of a sudden, God's revelation is getting bigger. God's revelation is growing. And if you're watching The Chosen, if you've watched, it's like, yeah, it starts with a little revelation here and a little revelation here. And, and all of a sudden, then it begins to grow and grow and grow. And you know what? I don't think it stopped 2,000 years ago either. I think God's ongoing revelation is continuing to happen here and now through you and me. I believe that God's spirit that we have been given, that God covenanted to us, that Jesus said, I promise to send you the counselor. That's the same spirit that John had, that Jesus had, so that then we can also participate in this deja vu moment, not necessarily moments that we've had on repeat, but definitely moments that God has been continuing to reveal God's self and the love of God to the world. But I think I've, when I'm studying Scripture, I think I find that people are encountering God and God in these God moments more when they're willing to question. Look at the Pharisees who had the answers. Look at all the people who knew that they understood God. Look at all the people who were unmovable. You see, God shows up to the, those who are seeking, those who have questions, those who are stirring, those who are pondering. And brothers and sisters, I think we need more of that in our culture today. I think we need more of that in our church today. I think we need more of that in our own lives today where we're willing to sit beside one another, to stir the questions, to seek and to ask. Because Scripture says, Ask and you will find. Seek. Seek and you will find. Ask and the door and it, Yes. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Boy, I can't even get that quote when I'm going fast. Brothers and sisters, we need that. I need that. I believe indeed the realm of God takes bodily form in Jesus Christ and I believe also that through the actual uh, refining fire of the activity of the Holy Spirit that we also encounter the Spirit in the life of the church where we literally become the extension of God's divine revelation. And we also allow the world to see God at work in us. Brothers and sisters, may you be baptized. Remember your baptism today, that it is an outward sign of an inward activity of God through Christ, in the Holy Spirit. May that fire in you stir the questions today.
stir a fire that you may start seeking again and questioning again and wrestling with one another again to actually encounter the divine. Would you pray with me? Holy and mighty God, we give you thanks and praise. And we acknowledge that your activity, your Holy Spirit within us has continued to work, challenge, and transform us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us courage to live in the questions. Give us courage to stand beside each other and wrestle. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to let the Holy Spirit move in us and stir in us again. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you.